0: Now I just got a text from my wife that my daughter snuck in my bed, so I have to go figure out where I'm sleeping.
1: Good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Night.
1: Am I going to sign off this shit? Oh yeah, here I'll stop. Welcome to Podcast X, episode 27. I am back from my work retreat. Rob is back from uh, Disneyland. And Kofi <laughs> work. is done Kofi is done uh, having to report on DC for like three days. So we have time to record a podcast. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I am Ben Kendrick. <laughs> I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys.
2: Yeah, I'm Rob Kesey. While Ben was building lightsabers in Galaxy's Edge, I was in my hotel
1: room taking conference calls to talk about a thing we're going to talk about today. That's Think true. That. I Man, I nailed my time at Galaxy's Edge, man. I got the two big rides out of the way in the morning, and then I just got to shop and hang out. I got my cantina at noon, and then I got to shop, and then I closed out the day making a lightsaber. It was pretty dope. But in fairness to me, I did spend the previous day and the day after doing – like presentations and workshops. So that was my only fun day. But uh, Kofi Outlaw is also here, special guest.
0: I have not seen any hotel rooms gone. And uh, I still famously gave up my Galaxy's Edge spot when it was (laughs) one of the first people to step there too. Because I was just like, why does this person keep harassing me about this thing I've never heard of? (laughs) Just like somebody else take this. But, you know, I still don't I don't think I care. I'm not a big amusement park person, so I still don't think I yeah. care. But it's just funny I, every time I see other pundits, like, literally losing their fucking shit. Yeah. Oh, I'm not getting invitations to that thing. Yeah. Oh, really that's like me. Them. Yes. <laughs> but I think that's, <laughs> that's me. And no deep shade deep because, deep because, deep because deep I mean, deep deep. I, we're making, I'm not saying names because I actually do. I, I love, I, I have, like, much respect for that pundit. I get how yeah. it happens. But, I mean, I think it's unique about me maybe it's just something that's broken in my brain and i think maybe that's why i'm good at what i do because i don't necessarily give a shit that much like about any yeah. of this so like yeah i mean but i'm glad to hear you guys like out there having fun but i haven't seen a hotel room for this job in quite some time so yeah. dude not any it, of the clean kind at least
3: oh, oh shit but tonight's
0: but, drink will be a classic whiskey <laughs> and coke <laughs> uh i am completely
2: alcoholist in this house um but no i think we keep saying hotel room that that is actually the best part and i have not traveled in Maybe since the end of last summer. Like I didn't travel at all in the, in the winter because of sick kids and just workload and all this stuff. But dude, once you have kids, and we're all old oh, men now, so we do true. having hotel room is paradise. The first yeah. thing I oh, did, yeah. I got to Disneyland at early in the morning. My room was ready four hours at eleven a.m. Do you know what I did? I had park hopper passes, all this shit. I went to my hotel room, I ordered a burger, I slept for four hours. And then I went to bed. <laughs> yeah, early. That's, the thing. that's the greatest oh, thing
0: ever. No yeah. kids? Watch some hotel TV. Oh, Men's damn. A, whatever Fast and Furious movie they're playing on TBS or some shit. I'm like, just oh, be like, I'm just going to stay here for a minute. Yeah, I love being in my little small hotel room. Just like. You can sit down. You don't have to in, get up nap, or anything. Yeah, just yeah. Like,
2: exactly. Just doing work on my laptop. And I, I, I don't have to go out there and do uh all these theme park things, uh, you know what I mean? But um, I did. There were some, there was a reason why I was at Disneyland. But also, not to derail our intro here, but when Kofi talked about missing the Galaxy Edge thing. The same thing happened to me last year. I missed the, um, I have emails for Disney World. It was, I've one for, the guardians of the galaxy cosmic rewind thing they opened at epcot which i was kind of late on responding i did and but it was like through canada only and i was like can i send someone from here and they're like no it has to be you i'm like well i'm not i'm not going (laughs) so we didn't even go and then i also got invited this one i did miss for the uh 50th anniversary something something preview whatever at disney world they're gonna bring me out there i just didn't even (laughs) didn't respond to that it's like looking (laughs) back i'm like man that would have been cool maybe but um yeah like, yeah. So in that, in that vein, I'm sort of like Kofi where I'm like, I've seen this park in the last five, six years. So it's like, I don't, I don't necessarily need to go right now. Um, every year, yeah. like some people really want to, but
1: I, yeah, I kind of find it. I'm sort of like you, Kofi, I don't get really excited about theme, but like, I find them impressive, but like how immersive they are in Galaxy's Edge is certainly one of the cooler ones in that respect, but I don't know. I mean, I, I I don't get as excited about that. I did get excited about making my lightsaber. That was the thing. That was like definitely the highlight of my trip. That was actually like pretty fun. And it was like, like basically $10 a minute because you pay like $250 for the thing. And the whole experience is like 20 minutes, but um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That's, it was cool. Though,
3: awesome. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not shooting on this. I want to design a lightsaber. Now I
0: want to do all this. It's only later because I, I feel like I, t- I joke about it all the time here, and I think I'm only half joking, but I feel like my career and awesome success is like somewhere yeah. in my emails and I just never read it because I have like yeah, yeah, yeah. multiple email <laughs> accounts now that like are all overrun by PR, which is, I mean, you know, yeah, not to sound sure. like, you know, just clout touting, but like, yeah, I mean, once you get to a certain level, that becomes a problem. Too many people know your yeah, name like how to find yeah. you. Yeah, to information lists. your way. That's it. I really so I'm trying to say if I ever can convince CBA or Paramount yeah. I really do just want an assistant who just does nothing but filters and reads my emails for me
3: all day <laughs> and tells me like
0: yo you've been sitting on this chance to fucking like make this money retire for like 5 years like go here go to this go yeah. call this person back.
1: You well if you guys are out there if there's someone who just wants to sit and read Kofi's email and uh and help him out not all you hackers yeah. who are just
0: sitting there doing it, because you guys aren't, like, letting me know the <laughs> results. Like, I mean, I appreciate you, but
1: you're yeah. not letting me know the results. So, you know, steer your boy. <laughs> takes a uh, All right. Well, yeah, so we're back. We're, we're podcasting this week. We're going to be talking about the DC movie announcements. James Gunn came out, you know, brought some, brought some press to the Warner Brothers Studios lot and, uh, and announced some stuff. And then after that, we're going to kind of do like a weird little mashup of talking about the most recent Last of Us episode, um, the Frank and Bill episode, and kind of in combination with Kofi and I saw Knock at the Cabin, the new M. Night Shyamalan movie. And Kofi has some interesting kind of parallels there that he wants to explore. And it's a good excuse for us to kind of kind of talk about what we thought of that. So um, that's going to be part two. So let's get started. Kofi, you have been head down, writing articles, like, you know, brainstorming ideas, analyzing this whole James Gunn announcement. So walk us through these five, these five movies and five TV shows.
0: Okay. So, you know, it's funny that I'm back here because, um, you know, I think we missed each other in the mid 2010s when uh, DC <laughs> started down into the Snyderverse and that whole debacle jumped off. I was. Yeah. I remember being firmly in the comic book, book offices the day like we had to write up. I was about to walk out the door when Snyder got fired and all that, so we weren't there together for that. But we were kind of riding together when we started. And you know, I met this young Canadian named Rob Keys, like that was like on the heels of like Justice League. Um, uh, what was that thing called? Mortal. Mortal. Immortal. Um, God, Immortal. Yeah. Immortal yeah. Justice League. Mortal. Um, yeah, which is so crazy when the more we talk about it in retrospect, like, and you just. Think about George Miller, the guy who did Mad Max and like Mad Max Fury Road would have directed this thing with like all these young mm-hmm. actors in these DC roles, like Adrian Brody playing the Flash and Common as Green Lantern. And mm-hmm. Alan Richardson, now the fucking man as Reacher, would have been Batman. And uh, who was it? DJ Corona from like uh, yeah, G.I. Joe would have been Superman. Yep. Yeah. Sure. And it would have been, it'd have been wild, man. And like, I'm not even sure those people would have been bad. If they wouldn't have grown into those roles now that I like think about. Oh, them. the one. Well, one thing I gotta say, one thing there. It was Army Hammer was gonna be
2: Batman, wasn't it?
0: Oh yeah. Oh it's wait, really yeah, you're right. Mr. <laughs> yeah, right. himself, allegedly. Uh, was Alan Richardson at all involved in that, or was I just well, that just? Well, he, he did the Aquaman thing in, in the Smallville universe. But I, I don't okay. recall. If he was no, part no, of that. You were right. But, it was Army Hammer would have been Batman. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, now we know why. <laughs> oh my God, that's a real Bruce yeah, Wayne. Achieving the, yeah, <laughs> you, achieving the darkness. You—he really did live in the dark. Oh, he he was born oh, in
1: it. Yeah. it he hated for dinner.
0: <laughs> he hated for dinner.
1: Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, Megan was Gale was, was when, gonna yeah. play yeah. Wonder Woman. Megan Gale, um, Wonder
0: Woman. Yeah, I, I, remember, was... I could not remember the actress's name because I'm costume shots that came out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Wow. That was, oh, yeah. Back then, it was also the midst, like the right, literally the middle of like the Nolan trilogy as well, right? That was prime. Yeah. Like Dark yeah, Knight yeah era. So, Dude, there so.
1: was some weird shit in anyway. this <laughs> Teresa Palmer as Talia Al Ghul and then Jay Burchell as oh, Max man.
0: Lord, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that so was like, weird. I mean, and you think about that. We laughed about Jay Burchell, but then, like, you think about Jesse Eisenberg, Lex Luthor, totally. and you're like, oh, that wasn't yeah, so, yeah. like, crazy. I guess yeah. they were on to something. But um, no, oh, my God, that was my thing that Teresa Palmer, Talia Al Ghul was like, yeah. yeah, I was about that. But, uh,
3: yeah.
0: oh, man. <laughs> anyway, so moving right along. But, um, you know, one of our biggest days together, you know, during Screen Rant, and I, and I remember this so distinctly, like it is like one of the most shining memories, is when they dropped the whole DCEU plan. And like we were so, I mean, I remember that was like the busiest I've been probably since this fucking thing or the Marvel big phase uh three slate thing that they yeah. did um yeah but man that day was crazy because i remember and i remember like the sr underground episode we did about it because we just got everything it was like justice league one and two we were gonna get a flash and green lantern team up movie like we got all this shit we were getting so hyped yeah. for <laughs> And like none of that shit happened, (laughs) but like that was just one time that we were all psyched for like the DC franchise and everything that was going to happen. And we're like, gosh, it's going to kill Marvel. And we had then we started that furious debate that nearly tore us all apart about how do you introduce? Can you really introduce all the characters? Do you have to do solo films, which is some basic fucking bitch shit? It sounds like now that we have like so (laughs) many different ways of like building these universes it's so funny to go back and just listen to that but um yeah man so that's all to say hey it's good to be back guys we're we're now doing this now years later and dc still doesn't have a successful film franchise and yeah we've all been through a lot we got married and had kids and been through real life shit and dc still hasn't gotten a film franchise up and running but uh (laughs) here we are and uh now there's reason that feels like to hope again a little bit well, that, that's us right. set this up before you get into the details of it. You may bring up an interesting
2: point. When that big fucking first DCU slate, DCEU slate came out, if you recall, it came out during an investors' call. It wasn't even like. It wasn't like a head of DC studios announcing something. It wasn't at some event for press. It was literally no. an investor's call at they a time. When we drop- didn't know to follow that either. Like now yeah, they just name dropped same- their event stuff. Similar yeah. to this. They just named dropped 10 projects They said, Oh, there's also going to be another Batman and Superman in there somewhere. And they also just randomly named dropped like Ezra Miller and Ray Fisher in that. Cause like they knew they were casting them for BBS back then or whatever. Um, yeah. And then fast forward to this, like, We have an actual, which we talked about at length in previous episodes of Podcast X. We have an actual figurehead with experience and James Gunn and Peter Safran doing this. And the first thing they do is, uh, A, they they tease and promise a slate this month. (laughs) They wait the last possible day, literally January 31st. Um, but this little event, James Gunn being as savvy as he is with media and online through his social media, clarifying things all along, very transparent, relatively speaking, um, they put together this little event on the Warner Brothers lot, very last minute. So this is what I meant earlier when I was taking phone calls and stuff from my hotel room at Disneyland, like two days or three days before they were planning this thing. And um, our, our friend and publicist over there, kind of, it, it just all came together and was just being organized like the day beforehand,
0: basically. Um, That's what they tell they us. Just, they just dumped it almost all, like yeah, last minute to keep us. Totally. Yeah. And and how Did they, they said it they up, told but you know, give us a head start so that when the announcements came up, we could be ahead of it, but not too ahead of it that we could like you know really start get too crazy. <laughs> <seeing> <laughs> shit, yeah, yeah. Because there's a whole but, yeah, there's a whole process to this, kids. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, guys. it's all weird. And you'll notice if anyone out there is
2: really on top of this on social media, you'll notice like the the the, the, tr- the trades being trade magazines in Hollywood, being Variety and the Hollywood Reporter and such, got a bit of a head start on us. So they met in the morning before us, and they got to publish all their stuff five minutes before us online sites that three of us all help run and work for um and then but but our outlets were also part of the 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 online press part of it after the trade so i think all three yeah. of our companies were involved in some way um that 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 uh, the same day so we basically got one day ahead of all of the stuff coming out before james gunn dropped his video on twitter so um I wanted to uh, outline that before Kofi gets into it. Sorry.
0: What I love about my company is that w- they told me things to, like, prepare, but nobody actually told me the whole picture, which is a classic comic book thing, if I got to say. We are so good at, like, micro-division, micro but, like, sometimes we're like, has anybody actually, like, written anything about this whole thing? And everybody's like, uh yeah so, I, so, so the people were talking to me the next day like i knew everything and i was like i have no fucking clue what you're talking about right now and so like i was talking to jim viscardi shout out to jim viscardi i know he's i know it's probably part of his performance his managerial checks to make sure to listen to every single one of these but uh <laughs> shout out to jim viscardi but um yeah no he was just started to tell me and then he was like oh i want you to be surprised then and which was a good call like and thank you jim for that because he did retain me a little bit surprised which if you don't know him is big for jim but uh so that I could uh, actually get the full thing in real time and be like, oh, what? There
2: <laughs> like, must have been yes, some uh, surprises in there for
0: sure. Oh, yeah. And we'll give it <laughs> into there. But I was like, oh, that's wild. But uh, I, I mean, overall, I'll say I dug it. I dig what they're doing. I think Gunn is smart. And like you said, he's very savvy. And it's, I think at most you can be like, and like, and shrug your shoulders at things like the authority. like. And even Gunn admitted, like, most people, and he compared it to, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like, he's like, we're doing the authority. Nobody knows what that is. But then again, like, 20,000 people, actually, if you want to keep it real, knew who Guardians of the Galaxy were before I did that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. I mean, and so let's just – we'll jump into this and kind of move this conversation in. But uh, Rob's right. Like, it was this whole organized – but, it, I mean <laughs> – they always – there's a there's real disorganization and then there's, like, fake disorganization. And this was kind of, like, felt like fake disorganization. It felt like they did the plan. They gave everybody an exact measured amount of time to get prepared enough but not leak or blab too much or say yeah. anything because they gave it to us, like, at night. when We were all, like, ready to get off shift except for our late-night yeah. people. And then, like, we still had to organize it all and, like, True. put it all together and have it. And then they gave us a good – like, in the time that they did it was – just enough for us to get up, scramble in the morning, put together a bunch of shit, and still, like, react to a bunch of shit in real time that we had to deal with once the information started coming out. Because yeah, I don't think we were even clear, like, I don't think everybody was even clear, like, from the public to everybody in the mechanics of news organizations, like, how they were going to present all this information, like, what, like, what was going to happen exactly. Because then it was, like, 11 o'clock, and we were all, like, so, <laughs> and then it was, like, yeah. And it was like, okay, there's a video here. Okay, we can go from there. And then like, yeah. That's true. The people we had there started like, you know, all the embargo quotes and all the quotes were coming in. And you could be like, wait, who spoke to what about who? And then like figuring that all out. So it was well played because it kept us on our toes enough. That we had to scramble, but like they put a bunch of information out, and like Rob said, they were transparent. They answered a bunch of shit, like straight up questions about shit and some of the hard shit. So
2: that's it, yeah. yeah. So what, what? So part of this presentation wasn't just them informing us of what's going on here. It was a, it was a lot. It was an open dialogue Q and A. So you know, no photos or video, that kind of stuff. But it was like we got to sit down with Peter Safran and James Gunn and just ask and ask some of the tough questions, which we'll talk about here too, which is cool, and get as much clarity as the able or willing to give at this point. Um which was awesome. But yeah, to your point too. Like this is very James Gunn rollout because like for what seems to be the this is the the fa- their version of phase 1, to use an MCU term, is called chapter 1, which we'll explain in a sec. Um but they're essentially releasing the first half of chapter 1 to to the world. It's a huge deal. But there was no big song and dance. There wasn't a big super well-produced video. There wasn't any teasing from all, any of the DC social accounts that this was happening when it was, it just kind of just happened. And it was like, James got the Twitter account. And then like, you'll see that the social media accounts from DC and stuff like dropping just what James said during the presentation. It was very, for for us, uh, the size of this thing from the three of us in our experience in this industry of how big this really is for us internally on content to them, it was very nonchalant almost, which I found very interesting.
0: But James Gunn's really savvy. He's really good about doing this stuff, but making it look like he's not like that's it. There's a Batman thing that like everybody and I did both. Like I was writing about again, like what comics influencing these films and it's like Batman, right? We're getting this movie, the brave and the bold, which was clearly influenced by Grant Morrison's Batman and Batman and son. Yeah. And it's like months ago, I wrote the article like, hey, and I thought, again, Jim Fiscardi was out of his mind. He was just like, I really want you just like to analyze this picture and like write something about it. And I'm like, what picture? Because I'd seen a tweet from or the post Instagram post from Gunn saying like his um, cat or something was climbing up on like a charcuterie board and would look like it was about to eat it. And Jim like sent me this hyper zoomed in photo of a bunch of fucking books on the table, the distant <laughs> background. And he's like, that's Graham Morrison's like Batman omnibus. And I'm like, okay, like, I guess we could do something like that. And so like, I turned it into thing like, yeah, okay. Could he be stacking up? Is this the Batman? I basically made an article saying, is this the Batman source material that he's going to like, you know, make this from. And you know, and it turns out, hell yeah, it is. And he kind of played it off at the time, but like, it's like, hell yeah, it is like, it's exactly what it was. Yeah, yeah. And there's like, I don't believe for a minute that he didn't know that that was in that background of that photo because he loves playing with Easter eggs and shit like that. Yeah. So yeah, sure. like, I think guns are really good at like messing with us. And so, yeah, it was a seemingly nonchalant kind of presentation, but there are a lot of clues in there. So let's jump in and we'll just start kind of growing through these because it Kind of help shape what I was talking about about comic influences. So there's five movies and five TV shows. The five films are Superman Legacy, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, The Brave and the Bold, which is a Batman movie. Uh, Super, or no, I'm sorry, The Authority, Swamp the End, Swamp Thing, which will be yeah, the man. end of the of the line. Um, booster the, for TV shows, we're getting Booster Gold, HBO Max series. Paradise Loss, which is a kind of set in the Wonder Woman world of uh, Paradise Island or Themyscira. Waller, which is about Amanda Waller and my MVP survivor of all DC changes. (laughs) Viola Davis, (laughs) truly the woman king. Um, Lanterns, that Green Lantern TV show has finally settled into something. (laughs) And it's this. And Creature Commandos, an animated series. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this. So Superman legacy is going to be, we already knew that one. That's the one that James Gunn is writing. Um, and here's what I'm talking about. Kind of clues. So he announced this movie. We know it's going to be about a young kind of Clark Kent coming to Metropolis, but it's not an origin story. He's Superman. He's just going to be coming to Metropolis and kind of finding his place. I think it's going to be about balancing his identity as an earthling and a Kryptonian and dual identity. And so that's kind of a kind of cool or just an interesting new take on the character. But he also shared an image in his presentation video, which was from, you know, uh, Grant Morrison and Frank Quigley's All-Star Superman. Yeah. And there's a lot of this that I when I was starting to do the research and put together things that this feels like, if anything, we could end up calling this like the Morrison verse because it seems like their work is – is so prevalent throughout a lot of the clear influences and a lot of these things like Grant Morrison has at least at one time or another worked on just about so many of these things that are involved in this. If they're not from kind of like immediately newer DC concepts that he is not working on, but I mean, he's worked on green lantern. um, Some of the stuff that's going into creature commandos, Batman, brave and bold, Superman, um, what else has he done? He's just—it's crazy how much—or not he, they. I'm sorry, sorry, pronoun use they. Um, Superman and the Authority, which could and the actual Authority comic Swamp thing. Yeah, like so, like no, no lie. Grant Morrison, their work is all over this, and so I'm kind of interested in if in because Gunn was really clear about like this is all going to be consistent, right? It's all going to be united. And so even though it might be different tones of projects and stuff, can you still hear me? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, So I'm wondering if all-star Superman and some of the concepts, and if you haven't read that and you should read that, all of these things we're talking about, you guys should go out and read. Um, But all-star Superman was of course, this story of Superman being overcharged by the power of the sun in this trap. Lex Luthor sets and figures out like to kind of take him down is, is not to try to like destroy him, but to overpower him. So he overpowers the cells and Superman knows he has a limited time of to live. And he performs all these miracles he wants to get done before he dies. But each issue is kind of like a different, almost it's a, it's a linked story, but it's almost taken like an anthology and like each chapter is this kind of uniquely different Superman story about, either him doing something on earth and like affecting regular people or going to like crazy places in the universe or doing small things like having these Epic day with Lois Lane. And it's, it's just about Superman as a character and what his impact is. And I think that kind of thematic core is what we're going to get for Superman legacy. I mean, it's called fucking legacy, right? So I think it's going to be about kind of that. And I wouldn't be surprised even if it jumps through time a little bit, like and it starts out like as him coming to Metropolis learning his way and then progresses into something else but yeah. um, I think that we're going to see that and I would be it'd be kind of dope if they progress to him then having like Jonathan Kent and doing that and kind of like talking about trying to teach his son who he is since we know Damian Wayne is coming into this yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's a twist that Jonathan Kent is or is somehow yeah, part of this movie and it has to do with Superman kind of even teaching his son about who he is as a mixed, you know, as yeah. this unique person um, with everything we know about Jonathan Kent too. So, I mean, I've, I don't think we have to spend like too much time harping on this. Cause we knew this one, this is like the thing we knew existed. Yeah, I just think yeah. it's interesting that he shared an all-star Superman image as the yeah. image for this, And I think it's that weird. the image that he shared for each of these things has a lot to do yeah. with telling us
1: a lot more for about sure. them. Yeah, just like you said, I mean, he's an Easter egg, like, you know, teaser type person. I I find it strange that given that this is going to, you know, take place as a Clark that is, like, already kind of established as a superhero, that, like, they didn't consider keeping Cavill. Because, like, they kind of were like, oh, it's going to be a younger Superman, but it's like, I don't know. I mean, I I, I kind of get it, but it's like...
2: Yeah, it depends what the follow-up stories are, because we know, like, that's the very first film or, or project in what is already a 10 year plan. So right, right. It, it, age wise, if Cavill's 40 and they're planning yeah, out chapters one yeah. and two, like they'll be 50 plus by the time we're getting to chapter three. And we know they always refer to Superman as the crown jewel as part of this project. So, you know, right. it's, it's a weird Hollywood aging. Plus Gunn wants his own person. He loves. Yeah. And exactly. always has his own yeah. crew behind the scenes, his own cast. And you just know, like Michael Rooker sure is going to show up in all these projects. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like,
0: yeah. If Michael Rooker isn't Bibbo, I will be so mad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, you know, as a big Superman fan, I'm excited for this. I it's, uh, I I would be very curious if they do that Jonathan Kent thing, because it's kind of like, I mean, that seems like,
0: no, I think it would be like the the end. I think it would be revealed almost like the end of
1: the movie, like a wonder years type deal. Right. That's it. Like, Like, yeah, that's it. Because, yeah, I don't think you can... I think this next Superman movie has to be just, like, a really good Superman movie. It has, to give, it has to do everything that all of the Superman movies that have, like, come out... Well, Superman Returns and, I guess, Man of Steel. Like, you know, they're divisive movies because, like, one of them kind of went full superhero and the other one was sort of this, like, weird drama about, you know, Superman coming back that didn't have any action in it. It's like, this has to do a combination of those two things, I think Um, if it's really going to kick off this universe and that's, and like throwing Jonathan Kent in is like, it's a little bit like the kid with the piano and stuff in Superman returns, you know, it's like it complicates, you know, this guy just like can't get his own movie where it's just about him (laughs) or something. It's like, there's always some other kind of piece that's being tossed in. Um, But I, I, I agree with you given the brave and the bold stuff that, they're probably going to need to introduce Jonathan Kent in, in short time for sure.
0: I'm kind of wondering, I've been wondering if there's going to be a twist to, to all of this, where the Batman, because he's not, I feel like we're led to believe that Batman and Superman are going to be these direct things, but I feel like very quickly this franchise could move the main Clark Kent, Bruce Wayne versions of these heroes, not kill them, but do, The story, yeah. the lines where they're lost or out of the way or, or doing something. Yeah. I think Booster Gold, and we'll get into this, but Booster Gold can play into all that because all of this stuff. One of the biggest questions is how is it connected, right? Because a yeah, lot of this yeah. sounds just like a lineup of just <laughs> things very that all weird. belong to a yeah. DC thing, but how is it connected? Um, yeah. And getting into it, there's booster gold storylines about him trying to prevent people like from trying to fuck up heroes by using the time stream and all this stuff that you can use to kind of pull these heroes out without killing them. And there are famous storylines yeah. that people want to see. Um, so that brings us, let's just keep moving. Like so, Superman yeah, yeah, and like, so I've let's get done. to the brave and the bold. Uh, no, no, you're fine. Like to the brave and the bold. Um, so like Grant Morrison storylines, like we said, Grant Morrison, they've written some crazy Batman storylines. Um, but you know, Batman, and son is one of them. But also like things like Batman R.I.P. and Bruce and and Battle for the Cow, which is after the Final Crisis when it looked like Darkseid had killed Batman and Bruce Wayne was really just lost in time. Dick Grayson and Damian Wayne stepped up as a new Batman and Robin. There's a lot of people who want to see that because they loved that iteration of the characters, yeah. um, and their whole series together, and they love Grant Morrison's whole Bruce Wayne fighting back through time to become get back to Batman. They love the post kind of Batman, you know, fake death resolution where Bruce Wayne decides to publicly bankroll Batman and and start Batman Incorporated as a global franchise. And people want to see that end result too, right? And so, like, I, I also think there could be a thing where, again, where we think in this Brave and the Bold that we have an established world where Batman's been Batman for a while. You know, Damian Wayne obviously means he was doing some fucking Natalia. He's known that whole drama with the League of Assassins, <laughs> which was if you have not read Batman the Night, and I hope they incorporate some of that into it too, because Chip Zdarsky killed that, and it is one of the, it is probably the best Batman origin story thing I I have experienced um, probably since like year one. It, it's so good, um, and if you don't know what it's about, Batman the Night is about the years that Bruce Wayne went around the world and studied with like the best people in criminology, um, you know, thievery, martial arts and all these different skills, snipe like shooting and sniping, all these different skills to become Batman. And and it's about each of his teachers and some of the things that happen along the way. And it's excellent. Yeah. So um people i hope they incorporate that but um they could remove batman by the end of that movie you know that me. you know is left without his father there for whatever reason and kind of batman (laughs) decrease because i also think there's a reason they only showed us chapter one is because there could be things in chapter two or or, uh second half of chapter one that titles that would expose what happens Yeah, yeah in some of these movies right um so it's like the new Batman and Robin or some shit. Like you're like, yeah,
3: oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah. You know, and uh, so,
0: um, yeah. So uh, I'm wondering if Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne will stay in position as long as we think. Because when we get to TV shows, it's like, yeah, we're not getting Wonder Woman right off the bat, right? Like we're getting this kind of weirdly indirect thing about the larger world around her, but not exactly her. So. I'm kind of wondering about this all. but that's just me. Um
2: I'm sorry. That's run. it. Yeah, uh two things. I guess on the Paradise Lost front, that is interesting because we know that film is a period That's a space. series. It's a, it's a Game of Thrones esque they they keep comparing it to Game of Thrones uh, when we were talking to them about it. But but it's a series set in the past, right? So like, it's interesting they are exploring right off the bat the timeline stuff and of course Booster Gold's you know, he
0: comes Well, yeah. World. And uh since we're um, talking about it, paradise island, if you get if you haven't read This comic, that's one of the more recent things I was talking about. There's recent comics that I think Gunn really likes and because drawing from which would be uh, people immediately heard that concept and they pointed to Wonder Woman, uh, Historia, the Amazons, which is. This three part and DC is killing it on some of this like black label coffee table epic book stuff. Yeah. Like they they kill Marvel in this by far by this prestige stuff for like adults in Historia by like artists like Phil Jimenez. It's by um, uh, Kelly Sue Denick, uh, I believe. Yeah. yeah, Kelly. Oh, so Kelly Sue deconic yeah, excellent writer and artist Nicola Scott, Phil Jimenez, and Gene Ha, and. Dude, I, this book is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. The, they do the artwork, and it's almost like painted, but it's mm. about the actual story of the gods of Olympus and how uh, Queen Hera and like and all the other goddesses like Artemides, um, you know, I'm blanking on my uh, Greek mythology, which I am pretty good at. Uh, Dione- uh, oh, God. Athena, Artemides, and all these other Greek goddesses got tired of all the men, the male gods bullshit and decided to secretly make their own kind of like master race, which was the Amazons. Mm -hmm. And then they did this, but then this human woman got saved by the Amazons named, uh, Hippolyta. And she was so like enamored by them that she quested to find them and rose her own kind of tribe in the spirit of the Amazons and started these kind of splintered tribes of Amazons. And eventually they all had to go to war with Zeus when he found out what Hera had done and was so pissed that he wanted to destroy them. They had to fight him and Atlas. And it's this epic. I mean, this book is like one of the most epic DC books I've ever seen produce. It's the first one volume is so surreal because it's interpreting like the gods and Olympus and them like in the art of creation with all this crazy fucking kind of mythological artwork and surrealist artwork and it is fucking nuts. And I would be, if they are not doing that, that's ridiculous because that is the story to put on TV. Cause it's a little bit American gods. It's a little bit game of Thrones and there'd be nothing else like it as a female kind of led series yeah. about, like I said, actual goddesses conspiring to create this, master race of like of perfect like females how they fell out from each other and kind of like had their own infighting and all this stuff this human woman hippolyta comes in and like becomes the great leader of them and then they anger the gods and have a falling out of man and the amazons end up in this kind of limbo place where they're never loved by the gods again they're kind of stuck (laughs) on this island and it leads to Diana's creation. So I if I hope they're copying that book because, like I said, I mean, the thing won an Eisner Award last year or uh, I believe in 2021 or 2020. I think it won last year. And it is if you've never read it, go out, read it. It's beautiful just to look at each issue, three volumes. Um, and, yeah, it, it is kind of like what to Wonder Woman, what like the Dark Knight Returns is to like Batman. It's it's that kind of epic. So. I hope they don't fuck around and mess up because that would be the, taking that and making that a TV show would be amazing. This is a yeah.
2: uh, Connie Nielsen's character from a uh, gal's wonder woman. <laughs> when you say, yeah. Kalita. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, the way what you just described sounds epic and it certainly fits into, I don't, don't think we've said it yet. The theme and title of chapter one is gods and monsters. Um, yeah. So that certainly sets that up. So, and, and I want to touch on one more point. The thing you brought up, it's it's very important to recognize that they have announced, 10 projects, five shows, five movies. This is like Kofi said, this is only the first part, potentially the first half of chapter one. Um, They are planning what they said is they're going to do on average. The goal is to do two HBO max series and two movies per year. So do the math, that's two and a half years. And the overall plan for chapters one and two is eight to 10 years. So we only have two and a half years out of four to five years. There's still another eight to 10 projects chapter for chapter one. We have not announced that they know and have not announced yet. And to another thing Kofi said is they are not revealing some of the crossover event quote unquote event movies that these things may be building towards because they will reveal spoilers for what they're doing beforehand. And yeah. one of those projects is James Gunn's personal favorite. So you can read into that whatever you want, but his own passion project is not one of the ones announced thus far. So that's interesting as well. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Alright. So we knocked out a TV show and we can keep going cross here as the discussion naturally goes because yeah. that works better. Um so All right. with the Authority. Alright, The Authority is a weird one. It's picked out from this thing that began in a whole different imprint as a whole different series, which was Stormwatch. If you guys remember your early Wild Storm uh mm-hmm. spin out, uh, Stormwatch <laughs> was one of those, but that book kind of sank quickly in the nineties. And then yeah. people like just decided hey, you know, fuck it. We're just going to keep the ones we like and kill off the rest of the team we don't like. And so they relaunched it the, as this book, The Authority. And now what's weird about it, what's crazy about The Authority is, like, it basically has, it's a book that swept in so many different people to work on it over the years that it was kind of running. Like, every one of your favorite comic creators, like, worked on this thing, including Grant Morrison at one point or another. And so it was this team of heroes that decides, as James Gunn and Peter Safran have described, decides to do things by their kind of own rules. They don't want to, like, kind of follow the codes and the laws of the world. It was never really big for me. I don't think it was really, like, huge for a lot of people. Yeah. But it did definitely have its own dedicated following. So,
1: yeah, I remember some of these image books like, but I don't know that I ever read Stormwatch.
0: I, I mean, it's there was like, there. like some good characters that carried over, Grifter, Deathblow. <laughs> they were all part of 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 that whole thing, but um what is interesting and what people are kind of also leaning into is it seems random to just pull the authority from like wild storm days and throw them yeah. in. But there are certain characters in there that people are like, yeah, I could see why Midnighter and Apollo who Midnighter is like a whacked out Batman type character. And Apollo is like kind of a lighter, almost Superman character, but they're also a gay couple in their husbands and her husband. They're married, I believe at one point in the series. Yeah. Um, and those are two very popular characters that have always carried over. And there are other characters in the lineup, but like I said, Deathblow, Grifter. These are people who have transcended like the image Wildstorm days and ended up in the mainstream DC universe in the comics. And so one of the things people are also kind of wondering based on what James Gunn is teasing and how this all has to fit together is Grant Morrison – in twenty twenty one launched a new series called Superman in the Authority, which again was like this is the third time, or the second or third time the characters from the original Stormwatch have been put through the strainer. But it picked some characters from the old, like, Wildstorm era, like Midnighter and Apollo, people like that. Um, but also brought in Manchester Black and some other people from kind of like Uh, What should we call it? I forget Manchester Black's team. What are they called? They made the animated movie about him. Superman versus the uh, elite, the elite. Um, And so like, and so Manchester Black, it was a story of Superman kind of building his own X-Force, right? Like he brings Manchester Black in and is like, yo, you're a punk and a pain in my ass. But, like, you, we need, I need you to be like the person who protects the world after me and do some things that I can't do as the shining symbol I am and the Justice League can't do, (laughs) but I need you guys to do. And so that's kind of an interesting concept that people are like, that bringing that and even marrying that to any of the concepts from the original Authority comics would be pretty wild in terms of kind of having a DC team that's sanctioned even by the justice league to do the shady stuff they won't do. And so that'd be an interesting way to tie that all together. So we don't know anything solid about that because it's an obscure thing, but I would like to see that concept kind of be played out. I mean, and I think it would be, I mean, for me, it's like the one way you can link that movie, which is the only team up movie, by the way, like the only team movie we have so far
1: to the larger DCU concept. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't have a lot to say about it, just because it's like, it is more obscure. But um, it does stand out in this, like in this run, because you have Superman Legacy, you have the Brave and the Bold, you have Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, and you have Swamp Thing. And then it's like, you have this thing that no one's heard of.
2: Yeah, you but, have four four kind of landmark icon characters, and then like yeah. this random thing, which is even more obscure than the Suicide Squad. But um, yeah. it does seem very James Gunn because he does, you know, the way he describes it, it's like these guys are so extreme and they see the world is broken and they'll break any rule there is to fix the world in their own way. And what is the right version of the world? It's like they, they get to decide that. So
3: yeah. <laughs> it
2: seems like the perfect extreme James Gunn, like yeah. Suicide Squad with bigger, more yeah. bigger power players, you know? So.
0: Addictive. And it's and it's um, and in a world with Superman like what does that mean? That's it. Yeah.
2: It makes you wonder if he will show up in that because he kind of alluded to a lot of that of like major players like showing up in the background or having appearances in films just like exactly like
0: that and well, presumably yeah, that's my... part of the marketing. <laughs> yeah, That's one of my big rules for this is that like even the Snyderverse did it so well at the beginning in Man of Steel with like Just letting us know, like, yeah, you're in a world, even if though these characters did not appear, weren't like name-drop like heavily, like, hey, you want to go to the Wayne party tonight? But like (laughs) during that fight with Zod, you realize that it's in it's like just inescapable that these people are fighting in a world where Bruce Wayne is gonna be affected by this, where Lex Luthor is gonna be affected by this, because their fucking property visibly gets destroyed by two superpowered aliens the world's never seen before. And so you're yeah, watching yeah. that and you're realizing it's happening in that sandbox where Bruce Wayne's probably Batman and you're like, well, what the fuck is Batman going to have to say about this shit? And then there's another movie that comes that <laughs> answers that exact question, right? Like and yeah. so like as as long as they lay down quickly like what the history of this world is, what the kind of continuity of events that happened were and why we can start kind of in media's race with all these characters already there and not having to do origin and at least imply what their origins have entailed and like what's happened. And it's consistent across all the projects. You've already done half the battle right there. And like I said, it doesn't have to be heavy, but if you say like, you know, S day was the day Superman revealed his, cell so his secret identity to the world, then, you know, every single project has to kind of be, constructed with that being part of the story, right? Like there was a day that Superman fucking revealed himself in the world and had the following effects. And that makes sense in this new movie, no matter how far out we go. So yeah, man, it's, it's pretty wild, but uh, let's talk about Superman woman of tomorrow, super girl woman of tomorrow. That's the Tom King series. That's another recent, not old thing. Like that's a recent series. And Tom King was identified as part of the, DC studios brain trust that James Gunn talked about of the people he brought together to kind of mm-hmm. help him plan the DC uh, you. And it was this story that kind of takes Kara zor into space. It was a very kind of weird departure for her it was an intergalactic thing, but it was also examining her as this kind of, again, this kind of, in limbo character who is this Kryptonian who was sent to her to help her cousin, but never got there in time. And he's like the man. And now she doesn't really have like shit to do except like be a reflection of him. And so kind of taking that story, I did not read the Tom King story. I, I didn't, I mean, it's been hard to convince me that Supergirl is a character to, to get engaged with because of just the whole problem that, you know, we're talking about her just being like a weird reflection of Superman. But, um, yeah, they're swinging for the fences, at least, because, I mean, they're going to be doing Supergirl, but in like in a very different kind of way. And so they didn't even bother to change the title of it. I mean, they're just going with the title of the Tom King series, or, which was only like eight issues long. But, um yeah, it's pretty deep. And it involved like it's a pretty gnarly premise. It's like she has to go into space and prevent a war, but she might she has to take this kid with her. And like there could be something sinister about the kid. It's nuts. So is, I'm, I'm really interested to see what they do with this shit.
1: Yeah. Is Sasha Cali or whatever going to play this version of the character? I mean, she's no, appearing in the flash. Happens, but-
0: yeah. Fuck no. Every, everything that happens in the flash is going to be a one-off baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we got that confirmation too, right? Like, yeah. Flash is going to reset the whole DCU, <laughs> which makes Aquaman yeah. 2 such a, even a bigger head scratcher than ever. Like, because <laughs> yeah. Flash happens like so much earlier than Aquaman 2.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, it's very confusing. Obviously, we asked him about that—not um, the Sasha part of it, but the Aquaman and the Flash elements of it—and he said a couple interesting things. I think they're just afraid to say it now. They can't like derail the PR, in imminent PR train for the Flash and Shazam and stuff like that, which is like um, gonna be
1: like, yeah, he wins, but. The universe I mean, is completely yeah, destroyed. It's, <laughs> it's such like, a yeah. weird
2: spot. Yeah. They have some interesting outs for some of this stuff. Like, it is fortuitous the timing of the Flash. That's Ben Kendrick's most anticipated <laughs> film of 2023, um, because in <laughs> <laughs> the nature of the multiverse be be anymore. travel story, yeah, it, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it serves as a reset. Of course, so we, we already know, given you know all the implications of the old DC universe and Ezra Miller's uh, pending. You know, trial whatever i don't know yeah. it's like yeah it's a reset for sure they've shot various versions of multiple actors doing cameos and they can do it again i suppose depending on what james gunn's doing but they did say shazam does set up and lead directly into the flash and then uh, they said aquaman is sort of like the last piece that and he, he used the words leads into this so they also made it very clear that no actor will play two characters so like they, that that's why for now anyway, JC Momoa will not be Lobo and who knows? Lobo may not be part of chapter one or two anyways, but um, they also said like they're, I'm not sure I believe this, but tentatively planning or JC Momo is playing, planning for Aquaman to be a trilogy. So if there were a third Aquaman film, that would either be an Elseworlds story, um, which I don't think is reasonable or it's, they're going to retool him as the Aquaman for this universe as well, which would be yeah. very weird. Um yeah. in a flash, either you could essentially end that film or follow it up with just a different, a literally different actor playing Barry Allen or it's just a different flash. Like they can just bring in a different version. I don't know, do Wally West or something. Who knows? But like, um, it's a tricky spot and they will not answer that now because of the, uh, the, they can't reveal the story.
0: Oh, well, we have so many awkward DC press events this year. Zachary oh Levi, oh my god! Yeah, oh my god, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I didn't even realize the Levi part of that whole story. The oh anti back
1: stuff or whatever. Yeah.
0: No, was, just just that he's not like Zachary Levi was not at all Jewish. He's like oh. a hardcore. <laughs> no, he's a hardcore Christian. Yeah, he renamed hmm. himself Levi for uh, acting job reasons.
2: Hmm.
0: When, um, yeah, yeah. He, he
2: if you uh, for more on Zachary Levi, listen to the Michael Rosenbaums inside of. Uh, inside of your podcast. He was just on it. They actually, in the middle of this controversy, Michael Rosenbaum Press published on this episode of Sacri-Levi on January 31st. And he talks about <laughs> – he's been on the podcast like six times now, and he's very open about his uh, – yeah.
3: Like uh, you know and- Beliefs, yeah.
2: yeah, mental health for sure, but like that's the yeah. big theme of that podcast. But uh, he, he talks about his like uh, religious and personal journey, you know, what that means, what his beliefs are, and how that applies to his lifestyle, and all that kind of stuff. He is very did he open, talk
0: about how Truth of a fake Jewish name. Yeah, he did not ever talk about na- <laughs> personal and names. His boy as George as I Soros, want to hang out?
2: <laughs> oh man, that yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was recorded a while ago, this episode. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, there's there's. There's a lot of jokes about being a DC publicist, so um, if anything, at least all of this <laughs> kind of stuff this is the epic distraction they Yeah,
0: Zachary Levi's publicist waking up like, "All right, let's go promote Shane <laughs> Shazam 2. Opens her phone. Yeah. Yeah. I think
1: that was oh, sort of a joke. I think there was like some meme where it was like, you know, Zachary Levi trying to tank his own movie or something like that before it releases. Like, um, yeah.
0: No, there was one that was like uh, from this one of my favorite ones from The Simpsons, um, where it was like it was like James Gunn hearing the controversy about Zachary Levi. And it's like the guy in uh, The Simpsons when they're like, shouldn't we stop this guy from saying this stuff on TV? And he's like, no, no, let him go. I'm trying to get fired. Let him and cook. Was, yeah, yeah. And He's just like, no, no, let him go. It's like James Gunn like, no, no, let him go. I'm trying to reboot his ass. <laughs> oh man. that yeah, is funny. That was um, oh, there's one more thing there,
2: too. I mean, uh, I feel bad. Our, our boy Michael keaton is getting, <laughs> getting <laughs> oh my god, he's <laughs> left so, in like, Sony does him so dirty PC. in Morbius, and then and then well, so does Marvel because like they didn't follow up anything with the Homecoming, which
0: is actually yeah. a great
2: movie, and he's amazing. Him, yeah, um. But uh, yeah, of course. Like he was supposed to be this like nine picture contract, the Nick Fury of the new DCU, and then they shelved Batgirl, um, which they say is unreleasable according to Peter Safran. And actually, like, yeah.
0: maybe maybe it is really terrible. Who knows? they <laughs> show you see us the more you... in his eyes. Yeah, he's yeah, just like I've seen it. And Everybody who he... watches that shit ends up like the ring.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <and> he's supposed <laughs> to be like potential in you know, the flash we introduced him as like this is he's the older Batman now we're going to replace Ben Affleck and, and now and now no we we have we have Pattinson Keaton Ben Affleck and an unknown new Batman and <laughs> all in the yeah. span of three years um, so weird. but they we asked him about that too and he says if they did a Keaton Batman movie if anyone ever did anything with him, like it would be quote-unquote world story but again probably highly unlikely so
1: it's just don't. it pisses okay so here's what pisses me off about this whole thing is and like we've talked about it a million times but basically they were fumbling around trying to figure out what to do with all these franchises. And they just like kept coming up with like ideas that were like great fan service and like dropping them in front of us and then like ripping them away. And that's, what's so like frustrating about the whole thing is like, these are like unforced errors. Like you never needed to cast Michael Keaton is Batman, you had Ben Affleck right there, but you were trying to get away from Ben Affleck's Batman because of his connection to Snyderverse. He was trying to get away. <laughs> it's yeah, like, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it there was a way of doing all this that why it's so frustrating is just like, they threw so much shit at the wall that like people got excited in all different corners of the fandoms for different parts of all this stuff. And now that it's all like evaporating I mean, it's for, it's probably for the better. Like, I do trust that James Gunn is going to do something pretty cool here. But it's like, you know, I did want to see fucking Michael Keaton back as Batman. Like, that was something well, I, that was was I was excited also- about.
0: They gave us an old Batman and an old Superman back. And we're like, you guys, we know you guys have been waiting for this. And they were like, fuck you, psych out. <laughs> like, you getting <laughs> shit. Yeah, that's
1: bad. <laughs> taking it up. Yeah, that's it's exactly like, it. Oh. Like, the two things, yeah. That's what just makes it like worse. Is it's like you it's know, the timing I mean, of it. It's yeah. it's
2: obviously the the AT and T of it all or Discovery, I guess in this yeah, case, yeah, the acquisition sure. changes everything. It's it is smart. Look, 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 look.
0: Well, I mean, all we're talking Rock, about. If Rocket made that money. Would we even be here?
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, if that yeah, yeah. movie was good. Um, like, yeah, it's that was like phase 3 of recovery mode right it's like what pieces do we still have how do we correct can we bring back pieces people love and and the, the whole plan is fucked and the, the reason is they didn't have a plan they never executed on it like i'm still waiting for 2020 green lanterns where like we're- Where's that? And or this is like the 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 flash that Ben's very excited about, his most anticipated film of 2023. It's like this is this is like that went through like 50 scripts, seven directors, and even Ezra Miller wrote a script for that movie. Like that's that was supposed to be the linchpin to correct this universe. It still is. That's all like how much baggage they're trying to carry going forward. Yeah, but look, for man, sure. look, 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 right, we're derailing our talk about the slate here, but I will say this. As always, as is trademarked with DC or any superhero franchise, there's a lot of polarizing opinions on social media about this. Um, but look, here's why we, we we don't know. We know the titles of these 10 films. We have the date of one of them. That is it. Like no casting, nothing, right? Um, but what we do know is, look, for the first time ever, they have a plan. But they also have the time to formulate the plan and then execute on the vision, and this applies to the casting as well. This first movie's coming out in that two three years, right? Um, And and like Kofi said too, that they're generating this blueprint with a their own version. And you guys remember Marvel used to have a creative committee with like you know (laughs) Joe Quesada and all those guys before like before they split and Marvel Studios became its own entity, right? Um, Yeah. Uh, under Kevin Feige, right? They, they, they're the creative committee. And what I did like about the creative committee is that it had comic creators on it. And James Gunn's a huge fan, like Gunn is, so like, like Feige is, I mean, and brought in these creators that, that Kofi mentioned. They have Tom King, Crystal Henry, uh, Christina Hudson, who wrote, uh, you know, Birds of Prey, not a good example, but, you know, Ben's most anticipated movie, 2023, she wrote The Flash. And then uh, <laughs> Drew Goddard's in there, Jeremy Slater, who just did Moon Knight. So they have a cool creative community to start from the beginning, years, literally years before they even start this thing, which is awesome. And, and also awesome. And, and Peter Safran's like a, you know, super producer of horror films. And, and James Gunn does the producing, directing, writing. He, he's even, he wrote Superman legacy. He wrote creature commandos. Waller is his baby, even if he's not writing it because it takes place between peacemaker one and two. We didn't talk about peacemaker two yet, but, but, um, That's cool, right? They have leaders who are intimately involved. Gunn is not only choosing this, working with creators he loves, he's writing and actually involved in every part of it, which is the only reason he hasn't confirmed he's directing Superman Legacy. Um, Another big part of this, and and they emphasize this in our our talk with him, unlike every version of DCU before this, and that's happened with many Marvel films as well, they will not give up on this plan. Part of what you're just saying, Ben, is like threw shit on the wall. But if you got the rest yeah. of that analogy, half that shit fell off the wall and rotted, then they threw more shit in the wall and then someone pissed all over the wall and that was the plan, <laughs> right? No, Not now. Now yeah. they have this plan and they're sticking with it and they're sticking with the projects in it too. So if one of them's fucked or needs to be reworked, that's fine. They're going to push it back. They're going to take the time it needs to fix it and they'll just rearrange the order. The overall tent pole story beats will stay the same, and the, but the ordering may change. But th- that's awesome to hear that up front. That is the plan. They are sticking with it of course in three years we can have podcast X episode 200 and this is all not true at all, but this is what they're saying yeah. now. Um, and, and part of this plan is how sh- clear and strict it is, which is why the, the, the early rollout of this is genius because they're talking about the canon and the shared universe aspect. And, and we didn't talk about it clearly enough, but like this main DC universe crosses games, animation and live action. When it starts, it's all one shared universe so much so that the actors they cast something MCU couldn't handle it's one actor per character and the actor that plays that character plays that character in all three mediums. So if they cast Michael Rooker as whoever, that's the guy voice game. He's voicing the animation. He's playing the live action version, which yeah. raises a very interesting question. Once they start casting what these contracts look like, because if they're planning eight to 10 years for chapters one and two, yeah. some, of these, some of these characters are three chapters. These are 15 year deals. That includes X amount of movies, X amount of TV shows and potentially games. That's nuts and unheard of. Yeah. Um, it might be a new standard. But, but epic, right? If they can do that from the beginning and learn from Marvel and all the previous dec- – that that's pretty epic. And and how they're handling – we talked about this as well. The old stuff. They're not going to scrap. Everyone on Twitter is like, why didn't they give us Man of Steel 2 anyways? They can do it as an Elseworlds story. It doesn't matter. Like that's not established yet. He never signed the deal. They don't want to get into that. Part of David Zazlab. The the new Warner Media CEO, he doesn't want that shit. He doesn't want four Batman, two Superman. The only reason they're continuing with the Batman and the Joker is because those were successful and they have big creators involved, and they just want to let them run. They run their course. They will each finish their trilogies, and that will be it. You'll probably never see new Elseworld story again. Because why would you? They want the main universe to succeed. They don't want confusion. They want cohesion. Hence, one after two characters, three mediums.
0: And I Um, think we'll also get our own kind of I think Elseworlds will become synonymous with not just shit that is thrown out there by different creators and randomly stands on its own, but being able to pick stories that have to do with the DC characters, but not in that necessarily set in the main timeline, since this is a multiverse. Like, my example is Kingdom Come. I'm a big believer. I am a... Hardcore believer that Gun and them will down the line use the Snyderverse stuff to do a Kingdom Come movie where you're gonna see the Snyderverse people back as yeah. like those oh, characters. You're
2: teasing something big, Kofi.
0: <laughs> like like I'm just saying, because it's an event film, it's something you can do that says, Hey, this is a possible future of the DCU. One where metahuman shit gets so out of control People like Superman got tired, tried to retire, the old Justice League, and shit got fucked up, and it becomes this apocalyptic event, and then you can use that to go back into the main timeline and say, kind of like what X-Men is doing now in their comics, right? X-Men's comics now are like, there is no like central me, evil mutant they're fighting. They're fighting the future and the inevitability of the future. And it's about yeah. timelines and, and separate lives and all the shit. But the end goal is like, we're trying to prevent this horrible fucking future from happening. And that's a good thing you can do with like Elseworlds and DC in the future. It's like, again, you do a kingdom come event movie that's features Henry Cavill's older Superman, you know, gal back as an older wonder woman, everybody back. And like, but just a story about how they all fucking, how the world went into like near apocalypse through this thing. And, you know, but then you go back to the main timeline and there's somebody who the specter or whoever the fuck who witnesses is the only through line who notice knows the shit. And it becomes like trying to prevent that horrible future from happening. Right. And yeah. so you have this other storylines. And so you can play with things like that. And I'm a big believer that that's going to happen. Like I, I just... As a Snyderverse fan, I have to believe that, but I am a big believer that once well, James Ezra Miller gets out of jail, or I'm just kidding, uh, The Flash yeah. is a great story because he's just a blur, so you don't have to have anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, James Gunn did share the Kingdom Come
2: image, which had people going crazy, right, in December on Twitter. So that, yeah, um, maybe, maybe that's the big long con tease.
1: Who knows? Yeah. All right.
0: Sorry, derailed there. What, <laughs> what project yeah, were so we, even we on? We have,
1: uh, so we just need, Hold I mean, on, there's uh, a Swamp Thing movie coming out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Swamp Thing. And we just heard today, James Mangold is in talks to direct that. So that's, I mean, that's yeah, pretty that's interesting. Cool. Um, yeah. Swamp Thing has been done a million times, but my bet is that they're going to lean into the Alan Moore and the Grant Morrison Swamp Things kind of versions, yeah. which prefer, because there is a war in Swamp Thing comics, if you don't know your comics history, between the people who like the kind of creature feature uh, story of a man who's transformed into a monster and just desperately wants to transform back into man on some beauty and the beast shit. But, uh, people like Alan Moore and Grant Morrison got really weird with it. And we're like, nah, you know, this is an entity from this other, yeah. you know, world within our world called the green. And it was a dying man, Alec, what's his name that, uh, got imprinted on this entity and gave it a kind of humanoid consciousness. And Swamp Thing is this kind of, you know, primordial, being and I, that shit's way more interesting to me because, because it Alex to Holland, Holland right? Alec Holland yeah that's his name yeah. but that shit in the last the, the kind of DC Universe TV show took the Alec Holland human monster approach right but yeah. I like the kind of surrealist green stuff and I think James Mangold's more into that kind of shit yeah I think it's so too like in, but in you know Graham Morrison did this whole thing where he had to go inside himself and in the monster and the man personas kind of were like split and in, in, in conflict so that kind of stuff is interesting to me more so that like the soul yeah i mean that's
1: very more like, like gun entity. yeah yeah i feel like that's more of a gun move to like
0: going I mean, into that's... the green yeah is what i'm saying and these other yeah. beings that exist because yeah. like yeah grant Morrison also did i mean there's also been Things that he's done with Mark Millar were Swar- Swamp Thing. They because Mark Millar worked with Grant Morrison at the time when Mark nobody knew who Mark Millar was, but on a story where like Swamping has to fight other kind of like primordial entities and things in this big war. So shit like that, I feel like is what they're going to go into and bringing in the Green and opening that whole supernatural side of DC that can lead us to a Justice League Dark and a new Constantine and shit like that. So yeah, I hope they go that route and I think James Mangold is the guy to
1: do it, right? Yeah, no, I
0: agree. Uh, if Mangold's
2: passionate about it, which he clearly is from sharing that image today, like that's pretty hype to me. I mean, Logan's fucking awesome. I, I wanted to bring up a question, because this wasn't addressed as far as I know. I certainly didn't come up in our interview, but like they have not confirmed, and I assume they will, if any of this stuff will be R-rated. like You could do that for Swamp Thing and The Authority, and obviously Waller. These are all like potentially very adult programming yeah. which is exciting to me because like marvel won't even make blade rated r so um, well i mean
1: peacemaker was fucking awesome right that's like, it I mean, that's one yeah the, the suicide
2: things. squad was rated so so and if he's the guy in charge i hope that means that they're not afraid of that so um yeah. that's very exciting to me as well
0: i think yeah. we did an article on it i'm trying to because I, I remember i don't haven't had time to read every single little piece of this but I think we did do an article, so if my phone will work, I can say. I can see if I can look this up in a minute. <laughs> we'll talking about the R rating, but I think they're going to still do, like, yeah, some. I would assume if half the stuff's in HBO Max, I mean, that that stuff by nature. Is, I mean, look at, yeah, I mean, look at Watchmen and
1: Peacemaker so far. I mean, these are very.
0: Yeah, I know Penguin's already planning to be pretty hardcore, so. Of course. And of I course. Know that I
1: feel, yeah, and I feel like this is how you set yourself aside from, like, Marvel and stuff, too. It's like, and, you know, the Snyderverse for as much as. Kofi and I in particular, like really love that whole thing. It's like, I think it, it did do this thing of being like, well, we're going to do this like dark subversive look at superheroes. And, but what, but I mean, all these Marvel films these days just feel like, you know, kind of cut from the same template. And so if you just like, let these movies get, you don't have to like actively go out and be like, we're going to make dark movies. No, that but if the creator
2: cool. wants to, right. That's what you're exactly.
1: Saying. That's it. Yeah. And it's like, if the creator wants to, and also if it's just like, just get weird with it, you know, like That's get it. weird, get like, get violent, get whatever the, like the property is calling for. Like not every teen kid needs to go see Swamp Thing if they make it with a, you know, like a decent budget instead of, you know, like paying $300 million to make us, you know, a Swamp Thing movie or something, make like a ninety hundred dollars Swamp Thing movie and then, you know, make it rated R and put it on HBO Max and it like, it'll, like you do fine like with that, you know? Yeah, Um, Um, if it's good, like if it's shit and no one wants to go see it, then that's a good thing. You know,
0: here's what he said. Okay, here's what Gunn said about R-rated stuff. He said it depends on the story. We're going to give every story what it deserves. Some things we Mm -hmm. know, Superman is definitely something that we would like to be PG-13. I'm going to make sure that it is. Other things like the Waller TV show are a little bit more mature. We have other things that are a little bit more aimed towards young women or kids that are still within this world, but kind of feeds everything back into the supermans and the brave and the bolds that everyone can see. There you go. Okay. So, perfect. Uh, um, yeah,
2: so it will be variety that ties into the other thing to, to m- m- combine both things you guys are saying here. Like uh gun did make a huge point of emphasizing that it is going to be creator focused. And he said that in the video too, he put up on Twitter where he's like, you know, we're going to, we want to, Everything has to be quality. Everything will fit this larger story, but we want a creator to do their own thing, which speaks to the point Kofi just said about the rating as well. So, yeah. I mean, it's all, so far, I mean, on paper, this is all incredibly exciting. and they, it, Clearly, they're taking all the learnings they had from personal experience, they, the previous DCUs, I'll uh, pluralize that, and then the um, the MCU, right? Which is, yeah. I mean, t- uh, this is more ambitious than the MCU. Certainly, there, there are a lot of learnings and repair to do, but, like, The one mega cohesive universe that crosses games as well, like casting actors,
0: all three from the beginning. Gunn said some shit like that. He said it's going to be even crazier than Marvel.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a more varied and ambitious slate to start from the get-go. They're starting with four projects a year, right? Across two mediums. So if they pull it off, if they execute... You know, and budget is an interesting question because that swamp thing, Ben, like that's a that's a theatrical film release. That that I'm very yeah. curious how they handle that budget wise, right? So yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, but it's also horror. Horror makes that bad. Peter Safran knows horror. He knows how to budget that stuff. So um,
0: yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It. There you go. That's why you go into that green stuff, man. You don't need to do yeah, crazy yeah. things. You can. You can yeah, just yeah. do some good basic effects and stuff like that and really play with that shit. Um, um, coming up next, uh, we just got to – I think we only have like one more. I think the Waller thing is like the only – we've been well, squeezing lanterns. the sides. Oh, Lanterns. Yes. So Lanterns is going to be about how Jordan and Jon Stewart, that's been confirmed. It's going to be compared to True Detective with Space Cops. Um, but again, you got to pay attention to gun and the kind of Easter eggs. He shared artwork that was a kind of mashup from um the Green Lantern Earth One series which was a very specific choice. If you don't know Green Lantern Earth One the Earth One kind of line was here. I don't even know if it's still running. I think it's done, but like it was here kind of in a flash of a pan. But it did some things that people really responded to, but it mostly fizzled out because people didn't feel like it was different enough. But Green Lantern was the exception. Like this was a wildly different take on Green Lantern. Like Ferris was like a glow, like an interstellar. Like it was set in the near future. Ferris is like a interstellar company. Like, humanity isn't really, like, ready to go intergalactic yet, even though there is, like, a intergalactic coalition. There was all this stuff about it and about a whole weird, different origin for how Jordan is a space explorer and how he gets the ring and all that. And how Jon Stewart eventually gets into it with a yellow ring and all this kind of crazy stuff. So, it's kind of odd that they showed that. I mean, they literally put up a picture of from that series of Jon Stewart with his yellow ring and how Jordan in his kind of like spaceman suit with his green ring. And that's the image artwork they used to show.
1: Yeah. And
0: so that's got to make you wonder why. So it's kind of interesting that they're going with like green lantern, and the earth one. I think if, if they're kind of taking some of the aesthetic and myth and kind of <coughs> mythos, changes that series did that's really interesting about like why they're yellow rings and who sinestro and john stewart and hal jordan how they all fit into this and ferris and the whole universe of green lantern um i think they're also do stuff from the recent grant morrison because again that grant morrison effect from the recent grant morrison line which kind of had it, it kind of got deeper into who these kind of different galactic organizations are. And it had kind of a espionage copy kind of noir feel like one story early on in Morrison's run had how Jordan go undercover in this organization called the black stars to find out if there's a double agent in the green Lanterns, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like I could see that being a series and just throwing us into this intergalactic world. Yeah. Right. Like in, Having the Green be like hardcore beat cops, and which was more like what Earth One, not as fleshed out in Earth One, they were kind of like they were down bad. The Green were down pretty bad in that in that series. Yeah. They weren't like this shiny, flourishing kind of space
3: thing. Yeah, uh, yeah
0: that
2: makes sense. Well, i'll I so, want a piece of this at the at the event. They had I haven't read that one. Kofi the Earth One stuff, but. Th- this was of all the projects they talked about, this one had the biggest like tease for the future of their plan because they they kind of hinted at and he said part of this in the video, but like what they're discovering these two is like this this ancient horror somewhere on Earth and that it's supposed to set up or and weave a story between the movies and shows that follow it. So like that is part of the larger, potentially the first crossover event they're setting up at the end of chapter one. Um We don't know. That's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. But and finally, finally, remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think Berlanti was supposed to make a show like this for HBO Max years ago and they're supposed to tie into some movie and like oh my god the last Green Lantern we've had is fucking Ryan Reynolds like what is going on
0: so um, this is yeah. to yeah, me that's wild be- it's <coughs> wild it's been over 10 years since like we've been able to see a Green Lantern on screen like yeah like pretty much anywhere <laughs> except in that
2: for one of the most talked about things for the decade it's finally happening so I'm glad that's f- yeah. f- like
1: Frontlined in this slate, so yeah, I mean, except for a brief cameo in in Justice League, uh, Snyder cut. Oh god, That's yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's knock it. Let's knock the rest of these out. So we have Booster Gold, we have Creature Commandos, and Waller. Um, all right, so
0: yeah, um, Waller. All I'll say about that is Viola Davis is awesome, but um, yeah, for what the show is about, there's a couple things they could do. I mean, there's Waller has a whole backstory and a history. It's pretty. From the black exploitation era up till now, they've done some backstory stuff for her, which of course would be always interesting to do on screen. However, you know, given how weird this is, I, on my bet in my pick is uh, the most recent DC reboot after the whole death metal stuff, Infinite Frontier. Um, one of my favorite lines of that kind of reboot was these uh, were, were books that were kind of centered around what Lawler was doing. And yeah. in this new kind of status quo, she was using a suicide squad to run missions, like multiversal interdimensional missions, like yeah. fucking around on other Earths and kind of fucking around and going to war with like almost for control of Earth 3, which is the one that's controlled by villains and like in D- Justice League, Crisis on Infinite Earths, that animated movie. So with like Owl Man and Ultraman and, and all that stuff and the syndicate running it. Um, and they brought back those characters. And I hope this... And she also kind of used Lazarus resin to make people zombies, like dead heroes <laughs> and villains, into zombies and, it task, and could call it Task Force Z as like of an course. expendable yeah. thing. Could just run, which is a wild series, but all of that shit seems like it could be on James Gunn's plate. Right? And so I yeah. know this fits between Peacemaker. But Peacemaker, you saw in my other argument was you saw what he did with Peacemaker, right? Like Peacemaker had everything from like super powered white supremacists to like alien body snatchers and not like out of a horror <laughs> movie. And the Justice League. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it put it all in there. Right. And so I feel like Waller being specifically mentioned with those two, it has to be doing something wild, right? Something yeah. like really kind of out there. And I've really, a lot of people want to see earth three be part of this DC used to like, franchise and see ultraman and what's her name power girl owl man and like that whole knockoff justice like johnny turbo or whatever his name is and like the yeah. whole knockoff syndicate justice league um and i would it'd be awesome if this seemingly kind of unassuming series is the place where we get yeah. that shit um yeah so would, I would love to see that
1: dope. yeah that would be pretty dope
0: And it would just be Waller going to an entire another universe and fucking bossing up on it and, like, being Amanda Waller, and that'd be, should be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that'd be cool. This one's interesting,
2: given that it's, like, the uh, (laughs) Kofi Joaquin Pope, Viola Davis being the survivor (laughs) of the Snyder. Uh, (laughs) But but it's really the whole Task Force X and Peacemaker of it all is all continuing the Suicide Squad stuff going forward. And they are still doing Peacemaker Season 2. It's not here because Gunn does not have time because he's planning this. Um... But it's it's possible. I guess that character shows up here, right? If team quote yeah. unquote team peacemaker is, uh, yeah, interesting. This one is written by uh, Crystal Henry, who did Watchmen, so very interesting.
0: Again, yeah, somebody yeah, who did some shit that made everything from like crazy powered white supremacists to <laughs> exactly fucking episodes that blow your mind, like Doctor Manhattan trying to fall in love, right, and have yeah. like yeah. conversations over these different periods of time, like yeah, it's. It's, she can take that pulpy stuff in those heady concepts and mix them together. And so I hope yeah. it really is just like Amanda Waller's just like reflections on everything. She's, she's been busted, right? Like yeah. she's been kind of like humiliated by that, but we know she's still operational and peacemaker. Um, but I, or no, at the end, they expose her. That's right. It's That's it. Happened. But but they, yeah. they showed
2: her back in uh, the amazing black Adam. So it's <laughs> confusing. So, um, but, um,
0: hope, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> just like let's just go with Peacemakers continuity and like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but her yeah. figuring out how she now has to get back up to different kinds of ways again feeds into that infinite frontier where you have to hop universes or you do wild shit like animate dead people in secret and like to keep and continue doing what you're doing. Um, but an Amanda Waller almost certainly will. So I hope that they do that and. Playing with again multiverses and stuff like that. I hope she is a sole survivor of of that kind of thing and helps yeah. sync up some of this Suicide Squad peacemaker shit with why that stuff is part of
1: the new DCU. Yeah. Um, it's funny that he gets uh, to like hold on to his <laughs> shit. Like he's just like, oh, but my shit is still. Canon. Oh, my, like, my shits, shits, fly. shit's That other shit. Yeah, so like, yeah. My
0: shit's fly, though. Well,
1: he, he,
2: the, w- the weird thing too is not to like, keep harping on Black Adam, but like you know, Task Force X is in that. His his James Gunn's wife, who he created the role for in Peacemaker, is in that too. So, I mean, <laughs> that does open the door for the future if <laughs> the craziness of the
0: idea. Of the Dare Rock you Attorney to be the person at the next event to ask him about that, Rob? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but You're you know, like, your that, girl
2: in Black Adam. That's is that that is the quick follow up, and you know, obviously. I don't know. I, I don't know when his talks began with Warner Brothers, but obviously this was a known thing to him. Um, and there was no, you know, it's, it's a weird thing. But I, I should also say the other writer is Jeremy Carver, who did Supernatural. I don't want to forget that part of it, too. So it just interesting implications there if Supernatural has anything to pull from. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess Booster
0: Gold is the last one. Um, Booster Gold is, see, I mean, so this is everybody's been waiting a long time for a Booster Gold series or movie or something to be happening because. It is one that is like kinda like a counterpoint to Marvel's Wonder Man, right? It's about yeah. mixing the worlds of celebrity and superheroism in this kind of ironic winking meta way. So there's a lot of things you can pull from. A lot of people want to see kind of like eighties booster gold In the 90s, the guy who's just trying to fake being a superhero in the modern age using future technology, basic future technology, and and no knowledge of kind of history, really, that he's just kind of faking his way through to become, like, the laziest modern-day superhero ever. Um, I think that... I speculate that there could be some things they pull from the 2000s comic series and the the versions that they did in the late 2000s and 2010s. Like when Jeff Johns and Dan Jurgens like relaunched Booster Golden's own series, they did some wild stuff where like Booster Gold, like I said, had to go through time and prevent this villain group from trying to use time anomalies to erase heroes from existence. And so it became down to like Booster Gold of all people to protect the timeline and, ensure like some of the most important people in like the justice league and stuff exists. Yeah. Um, and so that could be fun. The next storyline arc and that also saw him kind of trying to prevent the murder of his best friend, blue beetle, Ted cord, the original blue beetle. And we know there will be the new blue beetle will be out there in this universe. So that's possible. You can play with that story, but because he kind of played with it, he backed to the future to that shit. And he has to kind of try to fix that. Well, kind of doing the hard except that he can't save his best friend from getting killed by Maxwell Lord. Um, All that ties back into everything from Wonder Woman. Like Again, a lot of shit that ties back to. And that would be interesting for a series to be kind of a Loki kind of counterpoint, right? Where Booster Gold both is faking to be a superhero, but then has to take on a really real mission to protect real important people in the timeline. And it's also Mm -hmm. a way you could hop around and see a lot of without using a lot of effects or big a budget have to do key moments in the DCU history, right. That you can hop around and help establish like what's the actual history of the universe. What's the backstory of some of these important characters that don't have to feature. Like you can do a thing about the Wayne's or the Kent's and the, all that without having to do Superman shit. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, that could be an important series to watch and how they play with, both the fun of who booster gold is as a fake ass hero, but what would happen? What, those are the best stories are when booster gold actually has to do something important and, you know, yeah. has to kind of suck it up and do something important and not in a begrudging way, but actually earn up to being the hero he pretends to be. And we're all going to love to see Chris Pratt doing it, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with that golden, uh, with that golden uh, hair swirl, you know, Oh boy. Or, Will uh, Port, or Will Porter, whoever it is in the end. I yeah. guess they want um,
2: They this, this is the one project out of, out of all of them where they said they already had an actor in mind and were in talks already. So, um, yeah, given what they said about <laughs> Guardians actors, maybe it is what you say. Or Zac Efron type, if you followed that story thread from before.
0: Um, yeah. Um, interesting. So, Creature Commandos is basically, I mean, Jeff Lemire. Everybody knows this one. Jeff Lemire and (laughs) one of the MVPs of the New 52, which we all covered. Remember, our lives were consumed by that for a while. Um, The New 52 relaunch with that Justice League image. Um, So that we cut a million different ways. So this will be basically Jeff Lemire's Frankenstein agent of shade run from the New 52. Which again was a reimagining of a earlier Grant Morrison concept called Seven Soldiers. Um, which basically the organization Shade uses these monsters to combat kind of supernatural or otherworldly threats. And there you have it. And a lot of the characters that we see of saw in the animated concept art are were in that series at one point or another. Um Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein being the two prominent ones. Yeah. Um, there's also the notable addition of Rick Flagg Senior, which was very interesting Um, because a lot of also what happened in the infinite frontier kind of suicide squad story stories is while well, Waller's using her suicide squad to kind of achieve these multidimensional achieve goals that she wants to do. Rick Flag makes his own squad to kind of come and kill Amanda Waller. Um, and given that Gunn is keeping the continuity of what happened in the Suicide Squad alive in this universe, you yeah. know, we got to find that they're specifically doing shit like having actors that are going to play these people in live action and animation.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Rick Flag Sr. is a guy to keep your eye on. Somebody who's going to be kind of maybe possibly depending on when this is set and like what goes on with that, you know, the flag family might not be too happy with Waller.
2: Yeah. You you said it. I think, I think this one's already cast. I I have a feeling this character's already cast because they got, they made a very clear point to say when Rick flag was mentioned in the meeting, they said this one, you know, he will appear in live action and voice the character in the animation series. So I I think what you're saying is might be on the money. Also, in this roster is Weasel, right? Isn't that Sean Gunn, like yeah. so. <laughs> of course, the of all the characters of uh, the Suicide Squad, that one's coming back too. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's Weasel's like... got beef, I guess. Um, <clears throat> it's nice. um, we have covered a lot of ground. Do you guys want to say anything more about this, or do you want to kind of like switch gears really quick and talk? knock at the cabin. My anyway. earphones are dying. So I
0: might need to change earphones cause my earbuds are dying. Um, but, um, yeah, there's a lot. I, I still, I like where it's going. And even th- I'm, I'm intrigued. Even the stuff I don't immediately jump out to me. I think the authority is the most blank slate thing. That's just kind of like, eh. but everything else either has like a lot of character to it. Like the creature commando artwork makes it look like fun or there's genuine intrigue about like, okay, um maybe in forthcoming weeks we'll get into like deeper discussion about what I'm most hyped for all that. But uh I'm still just processing a lot right now and kind of just take in and you never know what James Gunn could tweet to say, you know, more information about this. But um Yeah. Yeah, let's uh let's get into the next conversation before my stuff dies.
1: Cool. Yeah, so let's uh let's move on. Um so there was a big episode of The Last of Us that kind of made waves around the internet i mean this show is like gaining viewers every week which is awesome to see um it's unsurprising it's a great show but we kind of had a bit of a bottle episode um that strays from the continuity of the games with the characters of bill and frank um, that were expanded in a really interesting way and uh but also kofi and i saw knock at the cabin and kofi has some crazy way of like tying these two things together. So I'm going to let him do that. And then I'm going to talk about not going to it.
0: I love how you still are the best. Uh,
1: yeah. I, mean, I, I used to have a fourth member. A fourth member used yeah. to
0: kind of Ringo this kind of thing and be like, <laughs> call you out for this kind of thing. How you set me up by throwing me under the bus 1st and calling <laughs> yeah, my it's thing a crazy true. way. Um, no. True. Okay. So what Ben is tiptoeing around, I will go into, but both of these stories are about uh, gay Couples, gay male couples, um, and kind of when they're thrown into these kind of very extreme, almost apocalyptic circumstances, it's about their kind of love and caring in their relationship with one another, right? And the bonds that they form. These are the very prominent storytelling pieces of both The Last of Us Episode three and Knock at the Cabin. And for me, knock at the cabin, it was very unexpected because I, I knew that the, I knew that the central characters were a gay couple and their adopted Asian daughter. I, I I didn't think that that weighed as I thought that was just kind of like a, you know, an arbitrary part of the book or just a thing. I didn't realize how much it factored into the themes of the story and what the story turns out to be about. Um, First of all, I'll say I like lo- I love, and you know, if you've listened to SRU, I love one of my favorite things is just kind of B movie genre horror thrillers. Like I love, you know, your secret windows with Johnny Depp identity with like everybody in it. John Cusack, Ray Liotta, you know, Rebecca De Mornay, Amanda, Pete, you know, that movie. Um, uh, I mean, the Blake Lively shark thing, you know, oh, yeah, I the love Shallows. Yeah. yeah, the Shallows. I just love good B-movie horror thrillers. They're just entertaining. They're good little stories, and they freak you out a little, in they're good, you know, before yeah. we got into this whole blockbuster horror era. But um, that's what Knock at the Cabin is. It's an M. Night Shyamalan, and I've realized M. Night Shyamalan is just like a folk teller, you know, story or teller. And yeah. he's really good at that. And I think as he gets older, he's leaning into that more. We saw it in things like The Sixth Sense. But he was still kind of, you thought he might be edgier. And then we started to wander around shit like The Village. We're like, what is this guy doing? The happening and stuff. But he's like a folk storyteller. He likes it to be a little bit scary. But like you come through at the end, you know. And that's very much this kind of story. But um he also, I also like when he plays with like kind of religious supernatural phenomenon, like yeah. one of my favorite projects he ever did was devil, which he just wrote and oh, kind of is produced. So good, uh, yeah. And devil's know. good. And that's such a bottle single setting movie in this building in Philadelphia and an elevator, a lot of it. Um, but very much like this movie, right? Like kind of the same yeah. deal to it. And so I think when I'm, building up to is I unexpectedly liked knock at the cabin a whole lot more than I thought I would. Um, There's a lot of great performances by like Dave Batista and the people who come to the cabin. Um, But why I wanted to kind of connect it to the last of us was I saw somebody, another prominent kind of pundit talking about the last of us episode three and like everybody was raving about it. And I, and I really did like the episode. Um, It was an unexpected kind of expansion of the frank and bill characters like you said and i love what this show is actually doing with the both the lore and the characters and making you either realize more about them feel more about them learn more about them and not even things they're adding like arbitrarily but things that were implied in the pieces you find in the game right like either through dialogue of tests you had in a game that implied her and Joel's relationship or pieces of notes you found from Bill and Frank and their relationship kind of sketched out and the weird little things you read while you're searching for stuff and all that. Um, I love how they're doing that. Um, Was it a bottle episode in the truest sense of the word? Yes. Like uh, you know, you really did make this kind of jump to there's these other characters and stuff that you you're really kind of challengingly asked to invest in all of a sudden, but you know, shout out to uh, Nick Offerman and uh, what's his name? Is his name Murray something I forget? Yeah, from White Lotus. Uh, and yeah, they do a great job of actually making you care and really feel for these two guys in their relationship. Um, but I I'm feel gonna- like some of it. I f- Murray Bartlett yeah I feel like some of it was just kind of like Overproduced in The Last of Us Episode 3 specifically that song From Arrival that they Play uh, so so one of our Other kind of Pundit colleagues posted About how they felt this Heart, heart swell when that m- Music came on um, I forget what the, the composer's name is And what the track is I'm um, talking about
1: Linda but, Ronstadt no, 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 Who no, 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 no. There?
0: Oh. no, there's a specific moment where Frank and Bill decide, where Frank is telling Bill what he wants to do for his last day. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. This... Uh, oh, uh, the first oh, yeah. On the Nature of Daylight, is that the one? Yeah, yeah the Nature of Max. Daylight, yes, thank you. Max Richter one? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yes, the Max Richter on the Nature of Daylight, yes. And so somebody posted about, okay, here it is, yeah, yep, Max Richter's on the Nature of Daylight from Arrival which I mean was devastating in that movie, but it's kind of become, and I said that was the, and I kind of like took issue and I quoted the tweet and I said like, yeah, this is the one part of the episode I didn't like that really threw me out of it because that people are starting to use that track as almost like a Wilhelm scream where it's like, whenever you want your audience to feel, it's like, yeah, time to feel emotional right now. Like you start playing that music Yeah, And sonically, it's so uh, out of step with, like, what's his name, Gustav, what's his name, who does, like, the Last of Us score, and, like, what the show's score is, which is this haunting music, which is, you know, very beautiful, but always almost sounds, like, kind of sad, really, too, in, like it's just so out of step with that. And I was just like, okay, now you're just taking what are already these great performances and kind of this great kind of chemistry and relationship. These two actors have built and you're like throwing this cheesy music on top of it. And I was just like, now you're kind of throwing me out of it. But I like that knock at the cabin by the end of it, like doesn't do that. It kind of pulled it off in this much kind of, well paced and well layered way to make the finale, like really moving to you in a different, in a way that didn't feel like manipulative, but like just organic and much more well-earned than I think the last of us did, which made me kind of feel, look back at that episode and be like, "Mm, I don't know. It felt a little more contrived to me and kind of just, very produced mellow drama as opposed to one that I felt let the performances kind of earn it and let the kind of premise and the tension it built kind of earn this very emotional outcome where you f- really felt for this family. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and their life and even just this devastating way of kind of, they did this epilogue, right. Um, just using a car and a radio for instance, that yeah, you know, yeah. like, I don't, I didn't feel from like the window shot of episode three of the yeah, last yeah. I can so,
1: see
0: that. Um, I guess it's, this is all to say like, good job for both. They were both yeah. very good pieces of content I got to watch this week. Thank God for that. <laughs> um, um, and shout out to Emily Shyamalan for like really turning in just even unmodest, nice thriller. Yeah. And, like, I haven't been hating his work the more I go back. I didn't hate old, like, at all. I hate The Last Airbender, and everybody should, but, like.
1: Yeah. The Visit is still one of my favorite. Oh, The like, Visit was good, it's yeah. such a good, like, it's such a good movie. The, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, like, we were talking before we were uh, recording. It's, like, people came out of, like, the L.A. screenings and the New York screenings, like, really hyped about um, Knock at the Cabin. And I ended up enjoying it, but I almost felt like that, that hype coming out of um, out of like the West and East coast kind of set me up for being a little bit disappointed because like, I don't know, you know, anytime you see an M night Shyamalan movie, there's like, you're, you're looking for the twist and you're kind of, you know, you're sort of expecting something a bit mind blowing. And I feel like this one, it is more of like a subtle, it really is just kind of about this family and they're put in a situation that has some twists and there's kind of an, a framing of the situation that, that I guess is kind of what the twist is. But, um, you know, by the end of it, there's some like, there's some shocking things that happen and, and everything. But I think the thing that like I walked away from just appreciating the most of it and it kind of connects to what you're saying is just like the performances are so strong in it. Like the fam, the performances from, you know, the family is, is strong. And then also the, the people knocking at the cabin, like the way that they're all portrayed and the way that the framing of the story kind of allows them to act is, is, is quite good. And I mean, Batista carries that movie like 100%. And I mean, there is something really unique about that, that Leonard character Um, and, and sort of the way that you feel about him and the situation that he's sort of put these people in. Um, I mean, we're obviously like talking circles around this because like the movie isn't out yet and we don't, we don't want to spoil part of an M night Shyamalan movie. I feel like is kind of discovering what it's really about. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely walked away from it kind of like thinking that I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as, you know, some people were like raving about it, but I, I, felt like it was one of M. Night Shyamalan's like stronger movies from kind of beginning to end too. Like it's a very cohesive story. It has great emotional beats. It's got great suspense. And it's like, you know, if, if I have a criticism, it's just kind of like, I think people will go into it being like, Oh, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You know, it's going to have a dope twist. And like, I don't know that the twist is the twist is not they're dead. They've been dead all the whole time Uh, you know, or something like that. No,
0: like, yeah. But that's the thing. Like,
1: I mean, it's expectation. I don't
0: want, I need this to end. I am very, and I don't think we've talked about this, but I am verily, I'm very, I think M night Shyamalan has been con- cursed a lot of the time. And rightly so, because I yeah. think M-, M night Shyamalan got famous for inflicting a curse, not only on Hollywood, but all of narrative Yeah. in 1999, which was a big year for me that convinced me to get into this career when i saw film transform something happened in 1999 where like blockbusters cinema and like fandom all kind of collided into this yeah, weirdness yeah. where like movies like the matrix was a good example that hit all three quadrants like yeah yeah geek fandoms were so into that shit people from anime to comic book readers to like everybody were was like you know into that movie so we're kind of our sci fi comic book anime. Yeah, um, I mean, things were ramping up with like Spider
1: Man and stuff too. I mean, that was like yeah. 2002, right? Like, this, yeah, but this I'm just talking about nine, kind of... I'm just
0: talking about the year 1999 purely. Like, mm. that movie, so the Matrix came out, that did it. Star Wars episode one coming out, and finally, Star Wars was like, dra- I mean, that was the first time that Star Wars was really, it had always been very popular, but it became mainstream popular. Like everybody was in on like the star Wars revivals and had been going back to the re-releases and all that shit. And the sixth sense came out and the sixth sense, what it did was it transformed movies. Like movies didn't really ever hinge on twists. From the time I grew up, I could remember like two movies that basically hinged on twists. That was (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock's psycho, Mm-hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. oh no three Alfred hitchcock psycho uh the crying game and fucking seven mm-hmm. and those were like the <laughs> yeah. only three movies that really ever hinged on twists nobody went to the movies expecting twists unless it was like a thriller yeah and like you were like oh but i had a twin you know like that kind of yeah. shit but yeah. like nobody went in like, no, nah, I don't want to be spoiled. I got to know all these twists until the sixth sense happened and the sixth sense happened. And right after that, <laughs> that movie, other movies came out like B and John Malkovich came out. Um, yeah. You have fight club, uh stir of echoes, um, fight club. Stir, think, yeah. Stir. Yeah. Like all these movies started coming out and people got like trained in the thinking, Oh, the ring, Came out soon after that, like, and people started to get trained into this idea that everything that a movie was just about getting to some massive twist, yeah, or like, figuring it out ahead of time, right? Like yeah, that makes or figuring out it out ahead of time,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. And like, the Matrix yeah. was, didn't help <laughs> shit because people were just trying to also figure that shit out. But now you <laughs> look back at the Matrix trilogy and you're like, no, they're just literally having a fucking boring philosophical conversation upon a bunch of tv screens in this movie yeah there yeah. is no mystery to this they're literally it, it is exactly what you hear in your adult brain you now can process the kind of rudimentary philosophy they're throwing at people but like you're like all right yeah they're just talking fucking philosophy there's nothing to this he's got to save trinity all right yeah, yeah. um and there's nothing deeper we had fucking theories about every word in that scene at one point because they're like everything's a twist you know and so I'm happy to see M night Shyamalan slowly climbing out of this because the more he's able to just tell stories yeah. where there aren't, where twist is, isn't like some big kind of, you know, masturbatory like perspective switch is just like, I, I like devil a lot because there are twists in devil, right? Guessing yeah. who's the devil in the elevator is a big one and they fool you. Um, yeah. and but it, what's really cool about that movie is the larger, almost Seinfeld way it comes together with this larger story about this cop and faith and actually the presence of, like, God, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, how it all resolves is, like, this masterfully kind of well-told folk tale. Um, and I think Knock of the Cabin is kind of the same way. It's not about the twist which doesn't take you long to kind of believe in or determine, but yeah. it, it's kind of how it all kind of comes together and how the story resolves and what the kind of
1: larger implications are about it. Yeah. and so, No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I, I completely agree. Like my concern for the movie is people's expectations. I think yeah. more than, than anything like the movie itself is, cohesive, well acted and tells a really good story with some genuinely kind of like horrifying stuff happening. Um, and there's just like great tension and it it plays really well with like kind of horror movie tropes too. It's like, you know, you have like your expectations. There's scenes where like, you know, there's a character chasing after somebody and it's like someone looks around one side of the tree and the camera kind of like hangs on that side of the tree and you're sort of expecting when it pans, right. And they look at the other side, it's like the person's going to be there, you know, and it doesn't really do it kind of like toys with you and then doesn't always like do exactly what you expect. So, I mean, and there's some just like amazingly like framed shots in this movie, too, that where there's this kind of like weird thing that he's doing where he like frames like the cast kind of in the two thirds of a shot with people like looking away. So it's like someone sitting in a chair and they're looking towards like kind of an empty side of the screen and there's action happening behind them he does that like a lot too. So it's, it's interesting. I kind of like is toying with perspective and, and kind of this, this sort of like, you know, bottle episode type space that they're in inside this cabin. But, um, but no, I mean, I, I definitely dug it. I would definitely recommend it. I just, I don't know. I felt like, you know, people were high on it coming out of LA and New York. And, you know, I, I am curious how audience reception is to it. Cause I feel like it is a curse. Like he is always going to be dealing with this thing of like, well, how good was the twist? And like, I think, you know, we have started like separating ourselves a bit from that, but people go to see an M night Shyamalan movie in a casual audience to see a twist, I think. And I don't know if this one is the most satisfying in that regard, but I'm not saying that's right. I just, you know, it is the curse. He's kind of created for himself, but, um,
0: all right, that's yeah. all I got before I started yeah. to fall asleep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was it was uh it was good. I think it was good. Rob, you have any questions or anything as we wrap this up? <laughs> um,
2: no, is worth see seeing? Well, that's the question actually. Is it worth seeing in theaters? Is it or is it? Uh, I mean, was
1: going to be like a, Peacock. Yeah. I mean, it is the kind of thing you could definitely watch it at home, but like, you know, I mean, there is something be, about going to it. It would be great a for like the a, no
0: no lie. I mean, I'm throwing shade, but like it it would it, it's not necessary. There's nothing about it that is so theatrical that you need to see yeah. it in theaters. Yeah. Um it it will be excellent as like a Friday Saturday night kind of
1: streaming pick. Yeah. I'd say too, or like even, think. you know, kind of you go see a horror movie to like experience it with an audience. Like, I don't know that this one, it has like some shocking moments where you'd get like those gasps and stuff, but there aren't like, no. you know, it's not like really creepy, super drawn out, like tense scenes of horror where you're kind of like, you know, people are screaming when something happens in the theater and that kind of adds to your experience. It, it really is kind of a character study with like, I mean just amazing like really really good performances um as I, I do still think is it's it's strength there I man there's one part that I want to talk to you about Kofi but we'll just we'll wait until more people have seen it because like there is one visually just like really fucked up scene that like I have never thought of before and it it is just like a horrifying idea um but we can talk about that another time but uh Alright, well cool. That'll do it for this week's episode of Podcast X. We're going to try and get out of here before Kofi falls asleep. So I am Ben Kendrick. You can follow me on Twitter at Ben Kendrick. That's B-E-N-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K. You can follow what I'm doing over at Static Media. We run Slash, Film, Looper, um, you know, some of your favorite entertainment sites. Mr. Rob Keys, my co-host.
2: Yeah, you follow me at Twitter uh, Rob, at Rob underscore Keys. That's K-E-Y-E-S. And you can follow my stuff on Instagram
0: and Failcube on Instagram
1: and Twitch. And special guest, Kofi Outlaw.
0: I'm over at comicbook.com. I also host the excellent and hopefully one day award winning podcast, Comic Book Nation. You can always catch me there on Fridays, live on Twitch and on the Comic Book Nation YouTube you can also find my written work over at comicbook.com and if you dig long enough and deep <laughs> enough and dark enough some on screen ran too we're yeah. still deep in there so uh yeah i'm i'm out here i'm still uh, outside and remember
1: when we episodes. won a fucking remember when we won a fucking geeky award <laughs> and vic flew vic flew out to LA to like accept that thing and i'm pretty sure the only That's reason the part we won I it I is because he like he was there, so that's like the reason they gave it to us. I still am convinced that's the reason they gave it to us. Right, we, we probably it was did. A bit i bet he paid to be nominated too yeah that's it <laughs>
2: Probably. i
1: think so i think so too i remember <laughs> I mean, like we, at that time we, yeah. one, we were doing the best shit anyway so no For i sure. mean we were like we kind of we sort of did deserve it but when you we, were saying i but i mean, but but up, mean that,
0: that was, same like, year about. we were like i mean that was like the same year we were on this weird run where like sr underground ended up being mentioned in like uk vogue of all places yeah like, that's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah yeah i yeah, still have yeah, that,
0: that yeah, yeah i have that too was, fuck yeah i, I was, keep that i'm <laughs> like i whip that shit out Sometimes i need to yeah. slap her somebody with it, one of these young kids i'm like you see your name <laughs> in yeah. this shit fuck you yeah fuck you, podcast. i'm famous <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i, was, I think it was the picture I, of the incredible doing when i was doing either, this
0: but... were you were you fucking jacking up in a second high school get the fuck out of here like i was, I was out here like getting international podcast fame oh, you kids it. were picking out college that's working
1: on your college resume yeah, yeah. Um, so, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, so that's funny. Um, all right, well, yeah. thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you all next week.